Hi, welcome to Beyond the Filter. I am your host, Liz Ryerson. And this is a podcast about new media and digital art, as well as many other things. Um, so today I have with me Felix Biederman, the co-host of the podcast Chapo Trap House. And is there anything else that you would like to be credited for, Felix? Uh, I guess contributor to Deadspin, uh, frequent, free, uh, semi-frequent episode one guest, uh, Oh, and writer of the documentary Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, John Boyce. Oh, cool. Well, you write a lot about MMA and, and golf politics in particular, correct? Yeah, I've, um, I guess I'm going back mainly to MMA and culture. Maybe it's just my, my shitty personality. But <laughs> uh, the, more, the more people that write about something that I'm interested in, the less I want to do it. Well, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's actually a really good way to approach like culture writing in general, especially if you're writing it from a more politically aware perspective, because somebody explaining sort of the background and the things that you would miss if you're uh, just coming into it from the outside and don't really have an awareness of this stuff. Because I think like it's it's important to take that stuff seriously at some level, even if it, you don't enjoy it, just because it is like, you know, it's an aspect of culture and by being like a cross section of culture it reflects a lot of different things and there are a lot of different sort of you know people and personalities that you could talk about with something like that so I, I actually find it pretty fascinating even though I don't watch something like MMA just because um, it's a perspective on these things that I find really interesting and it actually makes me want to know more about it if that makes sense Thank you. That's the sort of thing I go for with the MMA writing and other cultural writing. And, you know, I always feel weird about any distinct political message attached to any writing I do because I really haven't read enough to give you, like, uh, the analysis that, like, you know, Matt Chrisman would give you. Mm -hmm. But I would say they're some hard-set moral belief. I am, at the end of the day, someone who thinks that our culture is affected by our politics and not vice versa with the mma thing and with cultural stuff i try to touch on in general i think it really dovetails nicely with what we're about to talk about these worlds created by outsiders and have the distinct markings of things created by outsiders but are still obviously highly affected by the world above them and around them yeah, exactly. So what we're here to talk about today is kind of the the theme of the show when I started it, which I haven't really followed very well lately, but the old internet and specifically like digital media in general and things that are unique to uh, computers and the internet and culture online that aren't necessarily being taken seriously or aren't necessarily being given the sort of serious thought and critique that maybe they deserve because either they're so new or they have like a bad association. The culture just hasn't caught up to them yet as, as like a serious facet of culture. For me, I grew up on the internet and so it, it really is like, it has been my home for like years and I know it has been for a lot of other people. But even if you aren't, even if you don't have that background, it's really nice to have someone give some context or at least give their personal experiences to you so you know maybe where the things that exist now, like how they manifested in the past and what has also changed over time. 
there's sort of these cycles where we're in the age when like culture is changing so quickly around us and the way that things are orienting around sort of online media in general has changed so rapidly. But people talk and act as if these things have always been there in a, in a weird way. And it's kind of like weird to go back and just say, no, like 10 years ago, things were completely different. And that's why it's important to like, you know, talk about that and remind people how things work because they're not going to be the way that they are now for very long, like things are constantly changing. I guess I wanted to begin by asking you about sort of like what your history with the internet is. Um, I, my, my history with the internet, I, I first started using it when we had a dial up connection in my house, uh, in the late nineties when I was like, eight nine years old and then we finally got dsl and we had one of those imax the sort of candy plated ones the orange one and it was in this sort of little nook right next to our kitchen and i i i I don't remember exactly the day i sort of hopped on it and you know everyone goes on the internet when they're a kid and they just you know look for stuff they like they look for you know, well, let me find out stuff about wars or let me look at a really fast car or something. But I think everyone has that one defining moment where they look for something beyond generalized topics. They look for something that they have never found enough information on in the in their real world that they have always been looking for some input on. And I think I was 10 or 11 when I did that, when I first started searching for more stuff about games because I, I loved games. I had a I was the youngest child, and as is common with youngest children, it's the older, your older siblings, they're always brought up strictest, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't have video game systems and all uh, all this other shit, but, you know, when you're the youngest, kind of do whatever, or at least that was my experience, and so I had a PS2, I played games all the time, and I was, I was also a significantly worse child than my brother or sister, but I had always, I, I guess I had always wanted to find my own world from that forever. You know, I was like a, I was a really unruly, fucked up little kid and I had to switch schools a lot and I was just couldn't, like I had, I had a lot of friends, but I just couldn't figure out how to make it work anywhere. Uh, I was just sort of a malcontent uh, who had trouble processing things and yeah when I was 10 or 11 and I first found uh, the now defunct GameSpy forums and I, I, I found people like having long you know at the time I thought funny conversations about like Metal Gear Solid 2 or you know Max Payne and all these other things that I liked I I was like, holy shit, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for because you could have friends, but if you have this inner itch to find exactly your people, it's never going to be satisfied and you're always going to feel you're always going to feel like you're spinning your wheels to some extent. And from that moment, it just sort of sucked me in and I started posting on forums when I was I read them for a long time 
Because I was also a very anxious kid, and I didn't want to post, and everyone would be like, you fucking suck, go away. Well, that, yeah, that was, like, a big part of culture of the internet. It's yeah. like, uh, you can't, like, you say the wrong thing at any moment, somebody could just, like, tell you you that you you have to go fucking die or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so I, I would see that just people getting, you know, owned for saying the wrong type of video card or whatever. I'd be like, oh, my God, I don't want that to happen to me. This is my only shot to get in here. And I posted, and because I was, like, 12, I was a fucking shitty poster. Like, terrible. <laughs> you know, you're just like, oh, these, uh, these – why doesn't George Bush go back to his cowboy farm, you fucking idiot? And – Oh, my God. I, I, I made those exact kind of posts, too, back in the day. Because <laughs> you think you're really getting him. You're like, damn, this feels so good. No one else is saying this. Everyone else is saying it. <laughs> But I think I don't know. I think I had always had like a appreciation for comedy. I think I was one of the only people under forty in the country who really loved the show, The Critic. <laughs> I, no, I I liked that show too. I think like I I heard that that show was actually really popular more so in the like the Midwest than it was like in New York or on the coasts. That and I have a sense. feeling. Yeah, and I have a feeling that it's like one of those things where um, it's references to things that adults like, you know, only adults of a certain age would understand. But and yet, like, it's it's still a thing that I feel like a lot of kids watch just because it was a cartoon. Like, like I think The Simpsons was a similar way. There are many many references in like classic Simpsons to all kinds of like media or whatever that I I didn't understand at all. But uh, I, just like the fact that like. It wasn't, I guess the fact that it like wasn't talking down to you or whatever, like that yes. it, was re- it ca- yes. sort of made you feel smart, like you were part of the conversation. And I think, I, I generally think maybe people in the Midwest like it so much because it's so, it's so, um, it has such a dreary view of New York. It makes fun of New York so much. <laughs> and yeah. then the other, other cultural images of New York in the 90s were, you know, either well, this was more in the eighties that it was just a crime-ridden hellhole, that it was hell on earth, or just this is the coolest place ever. Look at these sexy people's lives, you know, like Friends or something, and or or Woody Allen's Manhattan. Yeah, ah, oh, god, yeah. And but then you had this thing that's like, no, this guy's life sucks. <laughs> Look how shitty this place is, and it's like accessible to you when you're younger to an extent. But I had like everyone in my family is really funny. Like, my mom, especially my sister, my dad was, my brother. And I always, like, I was significantly younger than my brother or sisters, you know, nearly a decade younger than both of them. And I always wanted to, like, you know, be like them. I was, you always want to elicit laughs when you're a kid. And I just, I sucked at it because I was, like, you know, nine years old. And I'm trying to make their jokes, like, their very urbane jokes. And it's like, yeah, Bill Clinton's a fucking idiot. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, good man. Yeah. But but <laughs> I did, I kind of knew how to craft a joke. And I think just posting there as a like child for a little bit, people did see, I guess, thought I had some type of spark because there was a, there was this test board on, on GameSpy uh, that it was some sort of like, I don't know what the code was. I don't know any shit about code. Maybe it was like HTML at the time. They're figuring something out. And they just left it up, and the best posters from the main GameSpy forum, both the off-topic posters and the main gaming posters, would go there and just – it was like 
very early internet shitposting, like 2003, 2004 shitposting, you know, in a parallel universe from like Flyad and everything from the main, main people who proliferated that. Flyad was a something awful forum, right? Yes. Yes. So you were it, you were not a something awful person. You just read something awful. Right? I just read something. I just was such a fucking loser that I paid ten dollars to read something awful. And never. I, I yeah. I never wanted to pay for that site. I was like, you have to pay for a site on the internet. Like I was sixteen or whatever. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not paying for that. Oh, you have no idea what a fucking loser I was. <laughs> Be, well, being I like mean, fifteen and trying to figure out how to pay for something, I was like, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I but, mean, like, uh, a, a lot of people, like, a lot of internet irony people all seem to, I, I, I'm generalizing, but a lot of them have, seem to have that background of being on something awful. Oh, yeah, no, and I think that 90% of jokes that people now tell on Twitter come from Flyad, honestly. Uh, people like, they come from people like Donk or Prospector or, like, Wint Wint was a Flyad guy, but most of that humor, this is a little bit of a digression, but, uh, in 2016, when we first started Chapo, uh, we got a lot of static from Nazis because there's a Nazi podcast, and they're like, "You ripped <laughs> off, you ripped off the idea of telling jokes about politics from us." What? And, yeah, it was. You ripped weird. off the idea of telling jokes about politics. Yeah, and I think their general point was that we referenced like the same type of like 4chan memes, like these like oh. people in this general sphere thought they invented those 4chan memes, but like. Really, actually, a lot of those are from Flyad. You know, if you really want to get didactic about it, and I think I was saw myself about to have that argument, and I was like, even for me, this is such a fucking loser argument. But well, you know, the internet yeah. like loves its fucking revisionist history, where no oh, one yeah. knows what the actual origin of anything is, and no one makes any attempts to understand that. No, no, yeah, yeah. It just it, you just see it in real time. In, in in real time, you see everyone just decide what history has always been and it's fascinating but uh going back to the test board it was called btf and when i first started put like i'd sort of gotten down like earnest games posting and politics posting and i i was okay at it but then when i went on to that test board btf i just i fucking sucked at shit posting it was like i was basically doing like you know monkey cheese epic random shit and that's not really what that posting is like now it spork looks like humor spork did you do any spork humor oh my god yeah i did <laughs> that was such a thing in like at that time yeah no that's sport it was that spork humor shit and i was like oh this is how i do it because it was so different from anything i'd seen like i i obviously read maddox and i actually did read the front page of something awful i thought i always thought their movie reviews were fucking hilarious and their shitty video game reviews and all that was affected by sort of shit posting, but it wasn't really the same. And I just, when I tried to do it, it just, I very much seemed like an unfunny 12 or 13 year old. And it wasn't, everyone was like, you suck, leave this fucking board. And there was one guy who was nice to me. And he, he, he said, you know, I like your post, but like, if you keep posting shit like this, you're going to have to leave. <laughs> and I just, just like, Fuck me, I fucking suck. This is like the one place I can like feel kind of happy, and I just well, I, suck, I, mean, I suck at it. Okay, the the one thing I want to say about these boards though is they're like the meanest fucking places mm -hmm. to be. Like like everyone was like super mean to each other all the time, all the time, and it's it, it is fun. Like 
internet's mean now, but it, it, whenever people are like, they act like it's a new thing. It's like, holy shit, you should have seen the old internet. People just turned on each other for no reason. There wasn't even any money at stake like there is now. Yeah. But, but uh, I posted one thread and it was just, it's it's weird how history circles back around because he's become such a part of our show and what we think is funny online. Steven Seagal. <laughs> but yeah, I just it was I just made a post where I was like, "This is a Steven Seagal mega thread." Just post all Steven Seagal pics there, and people are like, "All right, this is pretty good, not bad, dude." <laughs> then I, I, I guess I like kind of figured out what I like. I was doing like an imitation of people I thought were. The, uh, I was doing an imitation of people that were like way funnier and then I got invited to the IRC and I started gaming with them and then I was just you know as in as you could be and it became my very insular world for about five or six years mm-hmm. well, IRC was, was I mean like obviously IRC was a big thing back then but it was also a big thing for like if you wanted to actually like talk to people that wasn't mediated through sort of the performativity of forums, because like yeah. forums, like, I mean, it seems really quaint now, like now that we have Twitter and you're like performing to your entire audience at all times, but like forums were still very performative um, even back then. And so like IRC, everything, you know, sort of moves so fast. So yeah, you can be cool on IRC or whatever, but like, that's the sort of the place where you have like real, where you had like real conversations with people or whatever, or on aim, like in private too. One one of my best friends online was like, we talked on aim every single day for like a a couple of years. Yeah. Aim was, aim was where I talked to like real life people. I know like aim, aim was for, you know, people I knew when I was like in middle school and then uh, the first few years of high school. And, it was a place where I would have, you know, normal, boring conversation. Not always boring because it's fun. You know, when you're a kid, you like to shit talk your teachers or other people at school. But just they didn't ignite the same fire in me that going into IRC and talking about, like, shitty movies or being like, oh, holy shit, you like Mystery Science Theater, too. Or, like, let's, yeah, let's talk about Metal Gear Solid for four hours. Let's have, Let's have this, like stupid fucking riff i can tell that you have not grown out of that (laughs) i have oh man i have fucking not matured as a person at all since i was like 15 (laughs) well yeah it's 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 the arrested development of like living your life online basically yeah i i um i i yeah the funniest things that you do in irc i think there's a correlation between how funny something is and how how funny something is to you and how difficult it would be explained to people. And so the funniest conversations you end up having are about specific posters that you don't like or think are like funny in some way. And well, and that's yeah. a huge that's a huge draw still on the internet when you're talking about like YouTube personalities. Like these people constantly have beefs with each other. It's kind of like uh, there is something you feel like you're in on the conversation or whatever if you if you know people's beefs cuz I I did a very similar sort of thing back back then. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember when, you know, my sister worked for a tax publication around in the D.C. Nova area for a few years, and she would always uh, call me and tell me office drama. And for some reason, it was very interesting to me. And I love, you know, I spent a lot of time hanging out in exurbs in real life around that 
same adolescent age and I loved hearing about any like small town drama I wasn't involved in <laughs> and I, this may just be me maybe I'm just like a shitty person in this way but there is something absolutely thrilling about finding out something bad or something embarrassing or the inner workings and stripes of these people you don't know because there's part there's a little liminal thrill that it's not happening to you you're like thank fucking god this is not me this is not me who you know secretly had this dude's kid or adopted it thank god this isn't me who made this you know accidentally posted porn he was jacking off to thank god this isn't me you know in this office who's uh you know on his third mortgage because he lost a bunch of money playing bridge there is this thrilling aspect of it there's a poem called not us that my sister showed me once that's sort of about it that i really like but i i think there's, there's also a, the the famous homer simpson phrase it's funny because it's it, it's not me yeah, I, i'm pretty sure he says yeah. something like that in the um i can't remember what episode but and it's not just funny it's thrilling like you're so excited to see disaster that doesn't affect you and i think that's part of that's part of that like insular irc conversation it, it is you get to find out whatever bad details uh about someone something they fucked up really badly or whatever and you're like oh holy shit i could read this for hours and hours and hours and hours and this could be all i talk about because no, it's, it's a it's a sociopathic place because you're all cheering each other on <laughs> yeah i mean it is but also like I don't know. It it's kind of like it's something that is happening at the behest of like not having an outlet other in other places in other parts of your life. It's sort of a response to alienation, I guess. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely is. And I'm not saying that there those spaces were entirely sociopathic at all. Like in fact, uh, some like the they were also like for very trying times of me like an incredibly supportive space. Like we really did love each other in this way that is hard to explain to people who aren't in that and now like now now people that i know like through fucking twitter who are like deeply ironic jokesters or whatever those are some of the most supportive friendships that i have but yeah it's not yeah it's not all sociopathy but you know there is something about being 15 16 and being able to like just rip somebody up like that that makes you a little crazy and it's you know what happens at school obviously this is not just an internet thing but for the purposes of this conversation that was part of it yeah well and it was it was a, oftentimes a particular groups of people who were doing it at, at that time like it was mostly like like white male kids not well not always white but like it is very very male um the atmosphere of these forums and i i know that like one of my best friends um who was on a forum that i grew up with i she likes you know she did like her uh username was very like intentionally like ugly sounding um so that people would like leave her alone uh like it was she picked something that sound like that was gender neutral and also sounded ugly um on purpose and i think that's like true of a lot of i mean there were i remember 
uh, w- women, very visible women posters on like a uh, particular uh, forum that I went to. But like, it's it's very like these forums in general were very male. Oh, I know, I know a ton of women who did that, and it's you know obviously guys and I mean guys anywhere, but like especially I think maybe men in like an insular social circle where very few of us have any like very few of us are like going out in the world and having fulfilling relationships. People will become immediately emotionally attached to you through no effort of your own. If you're a woman. And I think also, you know, I don't know this. I don't want to put words or intentions into them that aren't there, but I think probably, you know, if, if you can present exactly how you want to present, you would want to be treated as anyone else. You would want to have the exact same conversations that everyone is having. And you want to be privy to the exact same social cash and insular enjoyment that everyone has. And you probably may correctly assume that it would endanger that if you just present as a a woman and uh, all, all of the, all of the socially maladroit adolescents can go. All right. You know, so I'm in love with you now. Because that's that is enough, that's something that still happens is yeah men freak out when they see a woman who sort of posts like them because there's this little thought in the back of their head that's like oh that means she's like as miserable as me I can legitimately marry this woman because she likes the same jokes that I do she has to be the exact same as me and they just they get this fucking absurd attachment to somebody that they just riff on jokes with and it's like. That you would never have, you would never have with, you know, a man. You, if you have a man who you talk to as frequently as a woman online, that you just have the same jokey relationship with, you would never be like, yeah, that could that guy could be the best man at my wedding. But with a woman, because you know, I guess your social conditioning and thinking that yeah, it's, uh, you, it's, you need a girlfriend to fix all your problems. That's going to fix all your problems. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely social conditioning because it's like I I don't know I I have weird experience obviously I, I grew up presenting a particular way and i think being online was a way to uh where i didn't have to necessarily think about my gender identity yeah. or you know i be constantly i mean i was thinking about this earlier because like when a lot of people talk about like popular music they always talk about like growing up you know how they really liked like this like boy band or like or you know was usually like women who talk about how they really liked a particular boy band or like female pop star and then it oftentimes is dudes talking about how they liked like new metal or something and like i was into things that were not really gendered either way specifically because pretty much everything made me feel uncomfortable like it's like i don't really like this like hardcore edgy masculine stuff but i don't really feel like i can relate to this like boy girl like uh cutesy pop stuff either so i'm kind of like you know figuring out gender stuff and i I think like being online um and being involved with something like like video games in particular is like just a way to like (laughs) sidestep that not not have to think about it yeah yeah i mean Everyone, everyone has something that they come to, that they came to these early spaces for. Whether it was, and it's always in the general area of satisfying this internal itch, uh, this thing socially that you were never able to attain, and you can be either a complete outcast or someone who 
superficially fit in but just felt alone around all the people you were around or is something something deeper than just sort of adolescent uh social ennui and uh anguish you know something something like you know your actual identity like that and it all it coalesced into this thing that was it is i think i can never explain to people how intense that feeling was and how funny it was and what a good feeling it was for so much of it if they never experienced it because it could be horrible and horribly petty and just there are so many things like conversations i had that i look back and i'm like how the fuck could I care about that? Like, what a low-stakes thing that I got so invested in and stupid about. But it just – it is an intensity of feelings that is very difficult to explain to people who weren't there. Yeah, well, it, I mean, like, the community – that the online community that I was in in high school, there was a lot of drama. And some of that drama, by the way, has followed me into adulthood because some of these people, like, still work in video games and like i have to think about like drama from when i was 14 do people I have with hold these on people. to that do people hold grudges uh, yes at you about that? yes That's incredible i mean like uh, most people probably don't but there there are definitely some grudges back from that era still like to this day and that they have never gone away it's 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 crazy and like some of these people are making serious money money now like doing video game stuff too so it's like it's bizarre it's bizarre to even think about how like because you know i mean i i sort of felt like none of that stuff was of any consequence and by the time i went to college uh i wasn't online as much i wasn't on this you know the website uh that i was I, I was on this website called oc remix i've talked about it on here before but it was like uh arrangements of video game music and like you know it was like a fan community um and so like everybody a lot of people who were participating in the site were also like submitting their like arrangements of like whatever video game music and that's kind of how i learned how to make electronic music anyway um it was actually a really valuable skill um to learn just through being in like a fan community but um because it was a creative community there was a lot of ego obviously involved with like the products that people were making and that has also gone over into um into like you know like there are several successful composers especially for like independent games now who are part of that community or otherwise involved with that community um and uh, it, it is weird because I think if you approach these things from the outside, you don't necessarily know that uh, these are the sorts of places that a lot of people have have come out of. But um, I've been on actually I've been on so many different forums like over the years. I was on like this comedy message board for a while that like there are some people on there who are famous now, but were not famous when they were posters on that board. It's like it it's weird because I think there's like. Um, like context is missing for a lot of people with this stuff, but it, it like these connections, um, are actually really powerful. And like, you know, after I graduated from college, um, and I was in kind of in a place where I had no idea what I was doing with my life. I had no money. It was like 2009. So it was like right after the economic collapse. Um, I 
met up with some of these people that I had known online in, in real life for the first time. And it was like, it suddenly like all this stuff became real life. Like, which is, is so bizarre to think about, but like, I think that a lot of, a lot of media on the internet now is actually kind of like that. Like there are a lot of, um, I mean like <laughs> Chapo Trapos is a good example of like, I, I know you guys didn't necessarily know each other at all in real life before you started recording that podcast. And there are some of my best online friends, uh, back from the day that, that guy that I talked to on aim every single day, I've never met him in person before. Um, some of so, the, oh yeah, yeah some of the people I'm closest with, like from Twitter, I never met. I didn't meet like really anyone from GameSpy, and it's it's another thing that's impossible to explain to people because part of it can be you know we share a similar sensibility and then we find out more about each other, but it really is the intensity of an insular community that binds you together in this way that is very difficult to achieve in a day-to-day life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like there are, I mean, this is a thing that a lot of people talk about, but there are so few actual community spaces in real life in general, um, that, you know, aren't like going to church or whatever. And like, you don't necessarily, if you have like niche interests and you don't fit into the absolute norms, especially if you're growing up in the middle of nowhere, like the internet is your place basically. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's, and I think now, like for people who are coming on it now, I really feel bad for them because there are forums, but if you're like a kid, if you're getting online for the first time, you're going on Twitter, you're going on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, you're going to places where the moment that you first post, there are, thousands if not millions of eyes on you and you know this is not to say that there was nothing toxic in old forums and old ircs of course there was you know we could we could do five episodes about it but i think that i think that everyone being in these incredibly large voluminous general populations together when they're first starting out it has a deleterious effect on how on the connections that they make on the voice that they can find themselves with. I mean, you know, I remember one thing about the old internet and it was that everyone was so politically weird. You know, you would, you would get into an argument with a guy who was super uh, pro John Kerry, but very anti-choice and also a monarchist and thought that we should leave Afghanistan, but redouble into Iraq and, and and no one used their real names either. Yes. So he was probably like identified as like a mech or a furry or whatever yeah. and had like some alternative persona that this account represented or something like that. People just had these very weird, you know, half researched views that didn't really fold together neatly. And it was fascinating because it's it's not so much that you have like oh i'm going to have a reasoned debate with you it's like huh, how did you come to think that that's really strange that's interesting you know how, how how did you grow to be this way but now i feel like everyone gets a pre-molded ideology when they come online either you know they start off on youtube in like the ben shapiro hell space or they you know they embody some sort of online 
center left persona and there are multiple ideologies but everyone in them because there are so many eyes on them all the time and they don't really get a small uh, insular community to develop themselves everyone's just sort of prepackaged in what they believe ideologically and it's you can i think you can extrapolate that to everything else people have a coming of age online but they their jokes are exactly the same their memes are exactly the same the way that they process events is almost exactly the same depending on what community in this huge it's like you know you go to prison and you wind up with whatever gang uh you feel like will protect you and that's what happens when people go in this huge fucking gen pop and i think that i i can't give you a value judgment is it better or worse I can't. I just can't. I think it's impossible, and I think everything is so subject to change, and what we're seeing now is so impermanent. Uh, but it's very different than what we grew up with, and I think some things about it are worse. I think some things about it are inarguably less interesting and kind of less fulfilling. Yeah, I I, I want to get back to that in a second, but I, I do think that it, this is a very strange time for for kids to be growing up, um, like as a like a political space. I mean, for a lot of reasons, obviously, but um, these things are sort of like the stakes are so much higher with uh how or at least they're perceived to be with how you like politically identify, even if you're not like you don't necessarily seriously identify with a particular side or it's something that you only sort of understand or identify with at like an aesthetic level or something it's still very much the the stakes are like very very high um in a way that like they weren't before like it's not like you're i mean i I think like kids are always going to be like trying out different you know ideas ideologies things that appeal to them and i'm sure there are some kids that are like uh, you know, watching like Keemstar or something like that. Just like somebody, you know, like, uh, do you know who that is? That's like, oh, a, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's one of those, you know, uh, mid thirties guys. who's like, let me tell you which 19 year olds hate each other. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's one of those like sociopathic YouTubers who screams the N word and like, it, <laughs> one of those kinds of people. But like, I'm sure there are a lot of kids who have perfectly good or who will develop to have perfectly good politics who watch that kind of stuff. And it's just like that you just kind of go through that. And I think kids are, I think that is a constant about just being a kid and youth in general is that, you know, cause like I, I grew up watching South park and thinking that was funny. And then going back and I'm like, Holy shit, they made an episode about why you should not, why trans people aren't real and you shouldn't respect them. And yeah. like, you know, I tell people about that and they're like, did they really do an episode about it? I'm like, yeah, they, they totally did. I, re- <laughs> I remember watching it, but at the time, yeah, it didn't, I didn't perceive it as, as fucked up or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think like, I think that that's true simultaneously, but like, it is true that like, um, your political affiliation, your identity is very much like high stakes, right now in a way that I think is, is kind of difficult and, and can really uh, obscure like um, how these things actually play out in real life. I mean, um, I feel like the internet now is very like, um, it's, it's very black and white and it's very like, there is a side that I am picking and that side is absolutely 100% correct. Yes. Um, 
Yeah. And like, and, and if there is like, you know, one person from your side that turns out to have said something awful or whatever, it like sort of just collapses your whole worldview or whatever. Yeah. No, and it's everyone weaponizing worst posters of each ideology against each other. And then the remaining part of it is people who are so far incredibly farly removed from power arguing about how they would run the world and you know i think it's high stakes now because it's the 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 bar to being known as like a funny person or an interesting person it's so stratified now because you're either like you get in it's has been so bad for us i think to see things like likes or reach like individual metrics for posts it has been so bad for us and it's caused us to stratify talent our concept of talent so so high up that for the you know rank and file poster in any community if they're not getting those numbers they're not going to be seen as having any redeeming qualities you are seen as having a redeeming quality in you know say how funny you are people can look at it those are those are your metrics they're unarguable and so they have to just fit in with whatever the politics of their group is because they don't have that the extraneous circumstances of what everyone sees as talent or being an agreeable person because they have no numbers backing them up so they can't disagree on anything yeah well i think metrics in are inherently toxic to mm-hmm. like genuine creativity because i mean like the idea of just doing something unexpected in general unless it's unexpected in a very particular way that at this point feels very calculated and there are people who like literally tried and game the system in every single way possible so nothing you don't know if anything is genuine at this point anymore but like the experience of this like kind of authentic mystery is something that the internet has always sort of valued but it's something that has been increasingly sort of uh, you know, broken down to a science in a way that is inherently at odds with the idea of even enjoying something kind of out of the ordinary or mysterious. Like, it, it's 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 very bizarre, but it's it's one of those things where like, um, I I think the internet has made it the the way that the internet has been built now has made it so difficult to have like an authentic experience and for people to be authentic without you suspecting that, you know, somehow in some way they're they're they have like a PR firm behind them or something, or there's like, there's all this money involved that, that goes on behind the scenes that, um, you know, things seem very accessible on the surface, but all these things are still going on behind the scenes in a way that is very like, strangely disingenuous and and makes it so that i feel like it's really easy for there to be an atmosphere of just like constant paranoia about you know who and what uh believes anything and who's just performing and acting and who's gonna like flip from you know who's gonna turn into a reactionary or whatever at any moment it's very strange it's the i think the most unsettling part of the new internet is the constant paranoia and of course you can't blame people for it because they're reacting to you know how many things did they see that they think are totally genuine that turned out to be you know yeah there was a ton of money in a pr firm behind it or yeah someone turned out to be like objectively a pretty bad person or whatever but it's 
there is a general atmosphere of distrust that uh, makes it so that I think very few people are going to. It's another reason I think very few people now compared to the previous one on sort of a per capita level aren't going to be able to attain these super tight communities and it's very sad but i you know i also think this we we both think this is very impermanent i think for different reasons uh i don't i don't know yours uh but you know what what do you what do you see as like the what what's after this what's after this stage that we're in because part of me feels like it's starting to break i think it is but it's hard to say like what exactly how things will change over time i mean i think it's it's reasonable to suspect that um you know especially if our society moves in a more kind of leftward socialist type direction in the future that there will be more sort of mediation of uh of these things by like government uh agencies or whatever like there's or, or things are broken apart, you know, the, these things are like Facebook or whatever is nationalized in a particular way. I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to suspect that that kind of thing might happen. But I do know that like, I don't know, having lived in the Bay Area for a while and knowing like some tech people who are very much, who very much were drinking the Kool-Aid uh, about that stuff. I think that like, I don't know. I mean, they, things are inherently chaotic right now, so it's really hard to uh, predict exactly what direction they will go. I mean, I think in general things come in waves, and like it, it's it's reasonable to suspect we're at a period of time where um, you know we've been a, we've been in a, a sort of place where like uh, the the public like inherently identifies with celebrities and celebrity culture, and like you know in this really kind of uh, weird way um i mean that that's always been sort of an aspect of american culture but it's like all, all facets of culture now like even sort of highbrow thinkers will engage with uh basically like fan fiction uh about you know uh kim kardashian or kanye west or whatever and like the you know i don't need, i don't want to get into like all the kanye west stuff right now but that's like a good example of like people people feel so betrayed because they have a certain set of expectations and like they have this idea of what these people's lives are like i think we're because of like me too and because of like trump and other things we're we're going to be in a place where that sort of um view of celebrity um is going to flip and um there's going to be a lot more distrust of those kinds of people um, which might lead to um, different, you know, uh, it might lead to sort of different values in how people end up approaching um, like their online presences and um, like, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, ways that they think about and talk about culture. Like, I think that that's probably going to happen and I don't know exactly how that will manifest itself, but I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's bound to happen at some point. Yeah, I think that that you know that particular point about how we think about celebrities, we do have a very feudal mindset uh, in, in that we we can't just like somebody. Uh, we think they represent everything that we think is good in the universe, and we hinge our entire being on them. And this, you know, people have always done that to varying levels in our in our history. 
because uh, we do sort of revert to feudalism, but especially now and especially with uh, the current internet. And I hope you're right. I hope we get rid of that because it's incredibly unhealthy. But <clears throat> I kind of I fear the prospect of us just doing that with new people now that we realize, whoa, oh, wow, who could have predicted that maybe Kanye has, is sort of a weird person and maybe not totally well. Uh, but, hey, um, you know, my – what I think will happen generally, it, I am not dead set on thinking that a socialist government is going to seize power in the next five years, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that it's more the consequences of capitalism because I feel like where we're at now uh, in the financial world, it reminds me a lot of uh, the – subprime era and it's not because things have sort of gotten even more stratified in our world it's not that things are hinged on individual variable rate mortgages to people and then packaged up and resold to banks and everything hinges on that it's now the new thing which is startups and a lot of that is online media and a lot of the on our online world now it is the way it is because of now money is at stake and most of that money, you know, there's obviously a very healthy crowdfunding market, but uh, a lot of that money is tied up in venture capital investment that works on mm -hmm. the same theory as Uber or, or Netflix, which is, okay, we have this unlimited pool of money that partially comes from cheap credit and partially comes from private equity. And we're operating on the idea that we're going to lose money for X amount of years that we're in business. and But then, because we have more money than these other people, we can just saturate the market. And then when they go out of business because they can't possibly compete with our pool's money, we have complete market share. And it's the pretty fucking outrageous economic model, but... I think what we're seeing now is the money is starting to dry up because a lot of these places actually did get a huge amount of market share and never really made any money. Mm -hmm. A lot of these online media companies, a lot of these startup, uh, you know, non-media startups like Uber, and so they're the margin call is coming, and we've also had too many years of a good, good stock market, and the cheap money ride is about to end because. Wealth and income, you can't really drive this capitalist engine forever as it is as like a service economy when very few people can actually spend money on things. And this model now of online revenue where everyone – everything is monetized based on clicks and views, it's starting to go away. That YouTube adpocalypse shit – that's not that's not because they felt bad about whatever political content or they're trying to be more respectable. It's because people are starting to realize that a lot of online ads don't really work. And they don't really work unless you're like fucking Jake Paul. And it's slowly and slowly going away. If people have noticed, a lot of these online media companies are starting to fire a lot of people. BuzzFeed mm, in particular, what? which was, you know, that was the standard oil of big content. And now it's going there downhill. There was that... <laughs> I don't know if you knew that whole drama about uh, that YouTube channel called Channel Awesome. Uh, no. no. Oh, okay. There was a. It, it was like, it was. Um, is the guy who who is originally referred to as the nostalgia critic, 
Um, he was part of this this channel, uh, which again is called Channel Awesome, the most fucking generic, stupid name. Um, like, but a lot of like big YouTubers um, were part of this were part of this channel, um, and ha- eventually left and sort of uh, reestablished their audiences on YouTube. But like, there was this gigantic letter going around from all these different huge youtubers about like you know the ways that they were abused by them and like you know uh, so uh, there's a lot of like um companies and stuff that uh that have made bank off of like or like the um the the fine brothers who made those like react videos yeah 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 um, yeah, they like made bank off of a particular kind of content model, um, and but that is like inherently unsustainable, and so they like implode in this like you know really catastrophic way at some point because either like a lot of employees were actually this is what happened um, uh, at uh, you know Notch who who made Minecraft um, he like his company Mojang, I'm pretty sure it's a similar sort of situation where like, um, a a lot of people were hired sort of at the promise that like, Oh, you're, you know, you're part of the company that made Minecraft. Oh shit. And then when the company bought out, like they got no money from it. (laughs) And so like, he just like had a bunch of people who were super head, you know, uh, this 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 company with a lot of money, um, had made all these promises, these people that it didn't like, wasn't didn't actually fulfill um and all the money ended up going to notch or you know uh microsoft or whoever ended up buying up mojang and there are a lot of sort of situations with online media that are like that where it's like um you know these companies that uh that end up uh that end up sort of inherently imploding because they they they're based upon like a certain uh very specific set of like uh, circumstances for of the online economy that is constantly changing. I mean, it's the same thing with with indie games, actually, independent games, because um, like indie games used to make a huge amount of money off of Steam sales because there was like a limited uh, amount of games on Steam, and it was actually kind of difficult to get on Steam. But then the the market exploded, and now it's like very few people are making much money off of it and people who like were successful in 2013 are not successful in 2017 because the market is just fundamentally it's like two different worlds like and there's a lot of like different stories of online media like that so it is interesting to see how that stuff has changed um i feel like i what you said about like i i mean i i do think that like uh the I, th- I think that we're like increasingly part of an internet that is like different little cults. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and like cu- cults of personality in particular. And I think that that is almost maybe replacing, um, you know, sort of click driven ad driven content is like particular personalities or, uh, people who become, really huge and people like start to personally identify with in this way that like, I mean, Jordan Peterson's a good example. Chapo Trap House is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we are. Um, but it's like, I, I, I don't know. I was, I was, I was listening to this, uh, podcast about, um, the Jonestown massacre actually recently. Um, and I, and I was like, 
there was like some there was some woman who was like a Jonestown survivor who was like on A and E or whatever. Um, and you know, like Jonestown was like mostly it was mostly like black uh, uh, people, like yeah. more black than than white, like um, who were part of that that whole cult. Um, but like she had said that like she felt like people should know about this and should know about her experiences because the conditions sort of politically are very similar to what they were, you know, in the seventies. And there's this inherent instability, um, that is drawing people more and more into sort of cults and cults of personality. And I mean, we, we saw that like with, there was that guy, that creepy sex cult that was based in New oh, York. Oh, the one that Allison Mack was in. <laughs> was that Allison Mack? Yes, it was. Oh my god! What a weird wow. story. Yeah, but like I feel like there's more and more stories like that. I mean, I experienced some things that you know online communities that felt very cult like. But I don't know. I think the thing that creeped me out the most about like that podcast about Jonestown that I was listening to was first of all the dude i mean he identified as a leftist um, yeah. uh but like uh if anyone you know wants to believe in the possibility that there can be in, in inherently like i think it's important to acknowledge if you're a leftist which i am um that there is the possibility for really abusive and destructive people to gain a following and i mean yeah. he certainly did through um he was like appointed by uh mayor uh of San Francisco Moscone um to to his like I don't know like advisory board or something when he was in San Francisco but like um the thing that creeped me out the most is they had like they played parts of like the J the Jonestown death tape um that like he recorded when people were like doing the mass suicide um and like there's a part where he's like um you know, he would do these, like, call these rituals about, like, uh, uh, I guess they were called white knights, where he would, like, be, like, you know, everyone sort of affirm their loyalty or whatever and say that you are going to drink this Kool-Aid and commit suicide. And, like, for the first, like, ten times they did this, there was, like, no poison in the Kool-Aid or whatever, so people were probably just thinking that, like, okay, this is just, this is just, like, this weird loyalty test or whatever. But, like, on 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 the recording like uh jones says something like well you know a lot of the people who didn't say yes there who walked out of the room there they were white people and like <laughs> the audience was like the audience was like hell yeah <laughs> and oh and i'm god. like oh my god like i've seen people pull this shit like on on twitter you know like <laughs> uh, everyone who liked this post by the way they're white guys yeah, yeah, it's like uh, I, I saw people talking about this with like, and, and I mean like, yeah, like Jones Jonestown is like the worst example of this, obviously. But like, I saw people doing this with Most like extreme example. Yes, but I saw people doing this with like, uh, like Dave Chappelle, for example. He had this whole bit about like, you know, why should he have to care about trans people or whatever in his stand-up special? And first of all, the only people that I saw posting about it, like at least at first, were all black. Like, but then I saw like a whole internet of people being like oh it's all white like queer people who are mad at this and i'm like what what are you talking about this is yeah, 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 reality yeah. and i i've seen the same thing with like um you know like i i'll see like a black woman complain about something and then see on the internet like takes from like 
you know, a day later of someone being like, gee, like this shirt made white people mad. And I'm like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? But like that, that kind of like, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is we have to be careful about like the kind of language that we use about that kind of stuff and the presumptions that we make. And like, it is inherently, uh, lends itself to like abuses of power and uh certain like sort of black and white thinking that is really uh sort of ideal conditions for cults to develop yeah yeah it's and it's uh you know i i think this is a condition of loneliness i think we live in a very lonely time and you know for my show in particular and i guess for my general presence and for the people who like me I think that I and the show, we become something for that. We become friends that they wish that they had because it's harder for them to access the communities that we were able to when we were younger. And I never like set out to like mean a lot to fucking people. That's mm-hmm. insane to me. This fucking terrifies me that I like it can like emotionally affect people one way or the other because they like whatever dumb shit content i do so much but i i i think there are also on the other side yeah very people who are very willingly taking advantage of this uh not just for money because there's a billion ways you can make money if you're like a three quarters clever and amoral person online but for the power for the that power of meaning so much in someone's life and it's an intoxicating thing for people and i generally think that the only way for things to get better online is you know either the end of capitalism or just a general sentiment among people that maybe they should not flock to the they should not see people they like and people who make things they like as exemplars of everything that is right in the universe and people that they always wish they wish that they were and just as people who make stuff that they like and have good things and bad things about them. And generally, the only way to achieve that is to have a less lonely society. And yeah. I, I don't know how that comes about. I honestly don't. Maybe, maybe yeah. what I was talking about with the collapse of big content and the general population internet when it becomes less profitable for things to be as they are maybe things will revert a little bit i don't know i don't know maybe that will help things reorganize into smaller communities but it is hey it's a, if for everyone starting out at the age that i did it's a sad time it's a very yeah. sad time well i i and uh, like i don't know yeah it's i guess the only answer to that for me is um the only way to not invest yourself so much in other people and in a way that sort of lends itself for for either you to uh help destroy their sense of self or for them to manipulate you um is to be that person yourself you know actually go out and do stuff and and you know be the person that you want to be and i know that's like um that sounds you know corny to say but it's true yeah, and it's really fucking hard for people to do now because they have yeah. no time, they have no money, their job consumes every hour of their day, there's no line between their work and their leisure, but, you know, if anyone can possibly find a way to do that, it is the best thing you can do. 
Yeah. Well, that's the only way that the only way that I made stuff work. It's like in the in the atmosphere of like, uh, you know, an unstable economy and not having a lot of serious prospects at all. I happen to know a lot of people through the Internet, through game stuff, through indie game stuff, as that started making money and becoming a thing that people started paying attention to. And I think I was able to be a part of that sphere even like four or five years ago when there was more optimism about that stuff which obviously which changed very quickly but like that's why i have the amount of money on patreon that i do it's like yeah. been that way for a while i'm not like you know a, a big t- high tier content producer it's just like you know i i got in at the right time and you it's got like, your audience yeah, and it's and it sucks because like it was just random. Like it was ran- I never felt like I was in the right place at the right time at any point in my life except for that. And it was totally fucking random. Like it it had no like bearing on anything. Like I, aside from like I guess the fact that I lived in California which fucking sucks for anyone who doesn't like live in California, New York or, you know, London or whatever. You know, the places where media is like, uh, you know, part of the industry. But I, I don't know. I guess the, the other side of it is um, I think the inherent appeal of something like YouTube um, and like a lot of new media is that like there's so much media out there that like, you know, I think about I think about this when I watch like a Rihanna music video. Like I, I, I like legitimately like some of Rihanna's songs and like some of like her videos are just like, you know, amazing spectacles or whatever. Um, but it's like, it's something that very clearly communicates when you watch it. Like, this is not you. This is like, this is is somebody with um, millions of dollars who has the, the budget to blow on this video. And, and while it's kind of like, nice to sort of feel empowered or whatever you don't get the sense that you can be that person that there's any way that like that has anything to do with your life inherently whereas like youtube i mean i think a lot of people you know want to shit on it or whatever for just being a lot of people doing like vlogs and shit talking or whatever uh and the production values being nothing but like i think that is the inherent appeal is like even some of these really big celebrities you identify with them because they seem like another person like you you know they seem like somebody that you could sit in a room and talk to and i think that's true of like a lot of podcasts too that's certainly true of chapo trap house um and i think that's that's actually like you know in some ways i think that's actually a really positive thing because it 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 sort of communicates the idea to me that like you know, when I saw you guys live, I I knew that like these are these are normal people. Like, <laughs> like they look like normal people. They're not. That's not like an insult. That's just like part of no, the I appeal. Gotcha. Well, um, I, I, yeah, YouTube is one of the only places that I think has any actual creativity on the big internet now. And I don't I don't know exactly know why, but I think that may be part of it. That for a lot of like mid tier to upper middle tier to even like lower middle tier like people make videos there is not an expectation on them to be totally perfect and you know i i i know two guys who make youtube videos who i think like i only found them like we only like i only know who they are because we like found each other on twitter making fun of a rapper and and i was like oh holy shit these guys like you know, for me, it's an insane amount of views. They'll do like 1.2 million views per video, but on YouTube, yeah. they're like, "Yeah, we're not that big," but it's just it's a different world. 
but they're actually really funny. And what I like about them and just looking at more YouTube, I've spent I've been spending a lot more time on there in the past six months than I have ever before. I think is that there is not as much of an expectation for someone to be a dogmatic authority on someone and you can just like somebody. And obviously there is psychotic fandom anywhere and it's Mm -hmm. all over YouTube, but I feel like there is more of a space to just be sort of like this person that people like there. Yeah. Well, especially if you're not talking about politics, because like I I had, I had ContraPoints on here. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of her. Oh yeah. I like, I like her videos. I think she does good videos. Yeah, like I think she does good stuff, but she is in a position both from being trans and also like engaging with uh, very t- touchy issues where like she has been in a place where like, you know, there have been a lot of people sort of actively being like, she's a secret reactionary, yeah. like, don't fucking watch her videos. And it's like, you know, you can think whatever you want to think about this person. You don't know them, but like, you know, like it's, I think... If you're in a place uh, where you're doing politics stuff, and especially if you're in a marginalized group and you you have just more riding on you, your visibility, I think there's more there's more of a chance for that to happen. But yeah, with, with other YouTubers, that's certainly the case. Well, with a marginal, uh, like you know, if it is something I've noticed that the backlash to somebody who is uh, you know any marginalized uh identity check mark to something that they say that can be perceived as like wrong or reactionary in any way at all it comes so much harder because i think that the hordes of internet people on that side are like oh you were you're supposed to be right because of your identity you're supposed to agree with me exactly on this you're supposed to be you know depersonalization works in two ways someone's either a subhuman piece of shit or they're they're magical and they can never be wrong in your eyes. And if they are wrong, it crashes down your entire world that you've hinged on them. And you just you you go at them like they destroyed your image of the world, which they kind of did through no fault of their own, through the stupid way that we conceive things we like now. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely I can say that um, through lack of experience, my own ignorance, probably my own internalized racism too. Like I sort of idealized black people and the black point of view in a way that like you know liberal American liberal culture does, um, you know, like and being on Twitter was was a um, and you know engaging more with uh, politics and those kind of issues was a good lesson in being like just because somebody's like marginalized doesn't mean they, they understand like issues they're not like doesn't mean that they're not like a fucked up abusive person it doesn't mean anything and if you think that just because somebody's marginalized that they're not like that then you are inherently actually helping dehumanize them because you're right. not seeing them as as capable of doing anything that any human being could do. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. It just, it's another unhealthy behavior, but going back. Yeah. I know. I like her videos. Contrapoints. Yeah. So uh, I guess, um, one thing I wanted to get to before we, uh, we go was, um, I wanted to talk about like particular personalities or, um, you know, people from the old internet or who sort of embody that, like, um, embody that, like, experience of the old internet or, like, particular, like, stories or anecdotes that you have um, 
that like you wanted to share or talk about? Um, I, there was one guy, uh, who I knew in my RC group. He was actually the guy who said, said to me, I like you, but if you keep making posts like this on our shit posting board, you know, you're never going to get accepted here. It was this dude who is really like, this sounds like such a bullshit, like uh, dumb great man historian thing to say, but I do think that in your life you generally meet people. You have a few people you meet that are incredibly pivotal to you that completely change how it would have been, and this guy was one of them. And uh, it was this dude, his, his screen name was Nitro, and he was an Egyptian-American uh, medical student in New York. And he... He would. He was like a big politics poster up until about 2005, and then he was like, "You know what? We're kind of spinning our wheels, getting like arguing, like getting these life or death arguments on like forums with like 400, 500 people on it." And then he just got really. He was always like sort of a shit poster dude, but he he got way more into it, and he he was like the most senior guy i guess of our irc group and he was just generally like a really funny guy but also like very positive like very fun to talk to and i think he was he was very pivotal to me and very i don't see a lot of guys like this now from people in these communities now he was someone who was like yeah you know what don't don't fucking don't fucking kill yourself over this shit. Don't fucking go so crazy that you lose sight of yourself over these very these things that aren't really real in a lot of ways. And the point of this is to have fun and you should have fun with each other and I should have fun with you and it, it the point of this is recreationally at the end of the day. And it informed a lot of what i saw the utility of like making posts and everything it made me realize that you make posts for yourself at the end of the day you make them because you think they're funny and you find mm-hmm. communities when people think they're funny or when people find an aspect about it they like about it but it was one of the most formative thing he was one of the most formative people for me but as far as people that more exemplify the old internet i think it would have to be demonious x right I don't know Demoni Six very well, so can you describe? I just know of him from you talking about him on 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 Chapo. Demoni Six was uh, he is this guy on YouTube who made this uh, video called uh, on flashlights and uh, my flashlights and hating women, and it just he's this very large guy who has like a you know very Michigan accent. He talks like this, and he has this like disgusting video where he's just drinking beer in front of a blurry webcam and he's like you know for all you this is the most iconic the reason this thing sort of picked up was he goes you know for all you trolls out there who don't believe i had sex i had the bitch over there in that fucking bed and it's just like it's completely dilapidated looking bad and he goes i was railing her snatch like there was no tomorrow and oh my I god came this in son- my condom and it felt wonderful <laughs> but then the bitch turned psycho september 2000 and that's this video has been in like 2008 and that's like the last time we had sex and and he has all these like he's a very like vulgar gross misogynistic and racist person but 
he has all these weird idiosyncrasies. Like he's really he thinks that video games suck now, and he's like. The only good game was fucking Top Gun on SNES. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, I'll only play games from like 1985 because that was like, for him, that was like when he was making these videos, like the last time he was happy. And there's a lot to like not like about him, obviously, because he's like, you know, our, he was like a proto man going his own way and he's like extremely racist. I, iconically, like he drops an end bomb and goes, and you know, I'm not racist. I have two black co-workers. Michael Thomas is one and the other was... Uh, Tyrone Smithers, like clearly made up, <laughs> but it, it's there is this. There are so many things about him that go beyond just him being racist or like gross or whatever that are like interesting. Like, why do you think that about games? Why do you, you know, why, why do you have this really? He, you know, he made a video about like how to diet, which is really weird. But it's like, how did you get all these weird ideas, man? Like, why, why do you? You have these weird verbal idiosyncrasies. Why Why is everything you believe, like, sort of wrong in this very interesting way? And then he ended up, like, meeting someone on YouTube and getting married to them and sort of calmed down. But I, I think he's very old internet because it was someone you could see who you were fascinated by, not because you're like, oh, this guy says everything right, or this guy is the void. He's filling the void I've been looking for. But it's because it's like, wow, there is so much not right but also interesting going on here that i want to figure more of it out and it's that's not to say that it's a totally altruistic thing that people were fascinated by him no one was no one's like oh i want to understand this guy you know it's the same mean internet of just gawking at some fucked up shitty dude well it's like it's like but, yeah. chris chan the the whole yes. thing with chris chan like that's a that's a good example of like people just i'm not going to go into it but you can look it up if you want oh, yeah. to um like to people who are listening but but yes, uh, that that is an example of somebody who is like famous because of people <laughs> being mean about that. I mean, he's a very strange character, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my family loves Demonious X. I the two guys on YouTube who I love are Dan Quinn and Demonious X, and <laughs> I found them both around the same time. And my family is just terrified by Dan Quinn, but my family loves him like they're so interested by him like they're, they're not very online people and never were compared to me but they like my mom thinks demonious is like that video where he's like our camera condom is like the funniest thing ever and she's still like she still like phonetically writes out wonderful like him because she thinks it's so funny that's amazing yeah I don't think, yeah, I don't think if I showed that to my parents, they would ever understand that <laughs> it, it makes me think of like I mean, you I describing an irony orthodox family yeah, that makes sense. It it like you describing it, it makes me think of like you know that guy Jordan Owen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes me think of him. Like his like he has just like these bizarre unhinged rants. Like it was mostly about Anita Sarkeesian because like yeah. a lot of these guys it it's so funny, like I've like met Anita Sarkeesian in person and like she is like it's so funny to me that like having like a having actually like met her in person the idea that these people have about her because oh it's God, not even yeah. like it's 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 so weird and random but like um he's he's another one of those guys who's like a bizarre shut in and like talks about like you know how I think there was like a clip of I see I I learned about this from uh you know H bomber guy Yeah 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 he had like these videos about um, like Jordan Owen and what's that other guy, that bald guy who also did like the Sarkeesian effect. That oh, I can't uh, Davis Oriani. Yeah, Davis Oriani. And it seems like 
it seems like they're kind of ripping off of the Demonius X thing. Kind of. And you know what? They're not as interesting as Demonius X because Demonius yeah. is kind of an auteur and none of these new guys are. None, yeah, they it, don't – like, they're, if they're interesting, it's unintentionally so. Yeah, and the, all like all like all these guys, all the guys that I like, they were like like to watch. They were auteurs in this way. Like they didn't know how unique their wrongness was. But like yeah, like so David Soriani yeah. is funny because he's like yeah, like shitty bald dude with a goatee, and he's like writes these really funny posts where he's like ah whiskey and a cigarette, a bastard's meal or something, and he makes these <laughs> completely fucking dumbass movies about Indivius Sarkeesian but it's like everything about him you could predict it's like oh you're a whiskey guy oh you think feminism ruined your life okay fine but with, it's Demo- true. with Demonius it's like wait why the fuck do you think that about Top Gun like what well uh, it also makes me think of somebody who is a genuine like uh, sort of I'm not going to say relics the wrong word but a genuine like a uh, true hero of, of the old internet. I don't know how to describe him. Uh, Ula Lilia. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yes. Um, Ula Lilia is like known for being an interesting character. He has a huge fan base, or at least did. I think he's he's like calmed down. He hasn't really made yeah. a lot of videos, but like a lot of people. I mean, there are people who make fun of him, but there are also a lot of people who are super protect, who at least were super yeah, protective of Ulalilia. Yeah, because he's an interesting character. He's not really reactionary, whatever. He just like really fascinated by strangely specific details in video games and like just specific details in his life, like the, the you know, about the way degreasing. that he. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Or, or like he had he had this game called Platform Masters that he was working on, and he was like talking about the layers of parallax in the background, and there were like <laughs> twenty layers of parallax. Like, it's not any. There's no reason to do that. Like, it actually just like slows down your computer computer <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> but he was just like obsessed with the parallax. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it's like wow, you're really like you have really wrong ideas, but in a yeah, again, in a funny, interesting way, in a way that is very unique as a person and like yeah now you just find somebody they just hit all those check marks nothing really that nothing really that out there about them even in the bad people yeah i don't know it's it's funny it's funny that you talk a lot about metal gear solid too because uh one other person that i guess i guess he isn't quite like this but uh there's a game journalist his name is tim rogers have you ever read anything he's written no i haven't Oh, I'm surprised. Okay, so he wrote like this big, like his first well-known piece was about Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, and it was like about, you know, why the game was meta and like talking about that. Um, and it was it was sort of coined as, uh, categorized as uh, new games journalism. Like that's what the name for it was. But it, a lot of it was like, he had this website. I think it's still up. Um, and this is—he's somebody that I actually know in person now, which is the the bizarre part about it. But he's actually—he's also from like kind of a strange character from the Midwest originally. He's from Indiana, and he like lived in Japan for like ten years, um, and actually worked for the Japanese game industry for a little bit. Um, and then he was living in Oakland for a while. I used to like hang out with him occasionally, um, but. He has like this website called actionbutton.net and it was just all these like bizarrely unedited 
God, I hope he doesn't listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, bizarrely, like, unedited um, uh, just pieces about video games. And there are a lot of, like, really interesting um, observations, but it was mixed in with just him talking about, like, his dating life and, like, his penis. And, like, it's just, like, the, the most, like, like, just, like, stream of consciousness kind of, like, I, I don't know, thing. But, like... He also, for a while, was like uh, he he now does like video stuff for Kotaku. So I guess it, like you can watch that stuff now. But like he had this like documentary called Get Bonus the Movie, um, wh- which was just him and this other guy who's named who's another bizarre fucking character named Bob from. He had this game called Bob's Game, which was just like this elaborate like hoax. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how to describe it. Um, but apparently that guy like has gone crazy now and like lives somewhere in the remote uh, west. Um, but anyway, um, also another like bizarre Midwesterner actually. Come to think of it, this um, is the the thought I will close out with is my theory about the. I'm a Midwest uh, supremacist. I guess I think the Midwest were like <laughs> we're like uh, the golden horde, and. Uh, we just uh, go west and east and conquer, but uh, I think generally um, people in the Midwest maybe have like they'll go for it more when they're online because I think that if you go to a place like New York or L.A. or San Francisco, people are sort of beaten down into their careers mm-hmm. and their lives, and they're like, "Yeah, I live in a fucking three by ten apartment that costs twenty thousand dollars a month. It sucks. It's awful. Uh, I hate it. Ah, but it's you know." Eventually, I'll get into a rent control place and I'll make partner at my firm. Ha ha, it's fine, actually. Working eight hours a week is fine. Ha, it's life in the big city. It's great, right? Because they're tempering their misery because they think one day they're going to be the person that assigns misery to someone else. Mm -hmm. And in the Midwest, a lot of people hate their lives and they're very open about telling you that their lives suck. And they will very openly, to mitigate it, they will very openly take on a new identity in front of you. They'll be like, well... I'm not really I don't think I'm getting out of this town or this state. I my life is gonna suck for the same reasons it always has, maybe. But, you know, why don't I become a fucking juggalo? Why don't I become a motocross guy? Why don't I become Yeah. Okay, they'll just like right in front of you, Oh yeah, I'm taking this identity to mitigate the horrifying factors in my life, what I whatever ennui and angst I feel. And I think it makes you you grow up there, you understand more types of people. Than if you grow mm. up some other places in America, and a lot of other well, places in America are like that, but yeah, if you go if you go outside your bubble anyway, because there are yeah. like really hardcore bubbles in the Midwest, like oh, people wow, I grew yeah. up around, like I grew up not too far away from Columbus, and there are people that I knew in the town I grew up who had never been to Columbus before in their entire lives, and it was like a fifty minute drive away. Oh yeah, it can be hyper insular, yeah. But yeah, to finish the story about Tim Rogers, they had this like uh, documentary and I was obsessed about it. And I just watched it over and over and over and over again. And like, I don't know why, but I was just like, I think it was just this like person, this personality. And like, I ended up meeting him in person and like, we're not like super close, but we talk to each other sometimes. And it, it is like weird to have a real life intersect with that thing. But like, He's somebody who I also kind of associate as one of those kinds of personalities. But um, actually, what you said makes me think of um, something I've thought about a lot, actually, um, 
it's something that uh, the rapper Danny Brown said, like in an interview that I watched with him, where he said, like he's from Detroit, yeah, and he said he said there isn't no, there isn't anything to do here, so like all you really have is your dreams, you know, yes. and like his music is very sort of indicative of that. Like there are tracks that are you know influenced like some of his favorite music is like indie rock music but then there's like stuff that sounds like rave music but then there's stuff that sounds like you know like he sampled uh like really old uh, bbc radiophonic which is like really old bizarre sort of arty electronic music in his work but like it, it it sort of summarizes um how I think I approach my own perspective artistically too, in that like I grew up in a place where I didn't really have an idea of what anything I liked was about. Like I didn't have the cultural context or whatever. So I could just dream up my own sort of vision of reality and what things were. And when that sort of ended up uh, meeting with like a specific cultural idea or context like I just didn't understand it like I didn't understand all this media that came from New York that had like a certain idea about culture or a- about you know what was important or valuable because I just had my own like personal idiosyncratic idea because I I don't know it's like if you grow up in the middle of nowhere and I guess <laughs> Most of the people who are probably listening to this are probably on the coasts and what, and like, I live in LA now. I like living in California. It's like my adopted home state at this point, but, um, and I don't really plan on leaving soon, but I will say that like, uh, that like those dreams and that ability to just sort of be your own person and, and, and sort of conceptualize your uh, own idea of what reality is. Um, I think is really important. And I think that's like really crucial to um, to the kind of like artistic work um, that has like longevity and sort of exists outside trends or, or styles. And like, I don't know, I, as a kid, I always like really looked up to, to Devo, the band Devo, not just in terms of like, um, cause they're from Akron, Ohio. Um, that not just because of like, not just musically, but in terms of like, they had their own sort of ideas and ideology and like this, this whole sort of political perspective that sort of played out on every level. And you don't get that, like you get, la- <laughs> you get laughed at if you try and do that stuff, you know, um, as part of like a big scene or whatever in like a city like LA or New York generally. So I think, I think that is the advantage to, um, you know, coming from a place in the middle of nowhere. And I think that's, I think it's really important to actually tell people that and to have them hear that because I think it's really easy, um, especially in, in this day and age, like um, for people to associate those places with just horrible backwater places where nothing or no one interesting comes from. Yeah. And I think that's like, I don't know. I think like uh, some of the most important um drivers of culture like if i'm thinking about like uh like the dsa or something like the groups of the dsa groups that i have the most optimism about are the ones that are you know at random places in the south or in the midwest or something because like those are places where people have no other community or ideas and they can sort of help build that and like i i don't know if there's one thing i can like impart to people it's that you should be that sort of person and like make your own language and do your own sort of things because 
the way that the internet media is online, it sort of gives you this idea, especially with how sort of metrics driven everything is, it gives you the, this idea that there is this certain way to approach like discourse and to sort of game the system to present yourself and approach what you do and what you make. And I think that's bullshit. And like, we should be pushing back against that as actively as possible. You should not have to be in like a media center in the world to, to do things, you know, to, to make interesting work and to be taken seriously. So I don't know. And that's like, that's why I support sort of outsider uh, media in general. Um, just because I think that that sort of idiosyncratic, uh, idi those idiosyncrasies and that sort of mystery um, has actually the chance to develop and, and become like a fully developed world that has like breadth and, and has something that can like, I don't know, genuinely empower people. I don't I, I get really emotional about this issue actually. <laughs> no, I feel but, you. Yeah. I feel you. <sighs> Do you have anything else you wanted to... <laughs> to say before going i think we covered it all but that was that was really fun thank you so much i've been waiting to have that conversation for a really long time yeah no problem i hope that i, I hope that some people listen and and take it to heart and think about this stuff because like like i said um and like you said before things are things are constantly changing and yeah what is the case now is not going to be the case like five years from now. So you have the, the power to envision that future, I guess. Oh, yeah, I feel like I'm riding the wave like anyone else. Totally. I think we all are. We don't know where any of this is going to go. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. No uh, problem. Felix. This is Felix Biederman, uh, By Your Logic on Twitter, um, and your co-host of Chapo Trap House, and also write articles for Deadspin and other places. Do you still do Carl Diggler? No, but uh, stay tuned is all I'm okay. going to say. Uh, all right. But thank you so yeah, thank you so much. 